We want to take an opportunity to, uh, to celebrate this morning together. 60 years ago, it's a long time. From Picadome to here, Southern Hills United Methodist has uh, enjoyed 60 years of ministry and sharing the extravagant love of Jesus with Lexington. We've taken up the call to be expressions of God's grace, and today we celebrate not just bricks and mortar, but blood and sweat and tears and prayers and everything else that makes up what is combined to bring us to this place, to a place that for many of us has become a home away from home. In fact, today we celebrate the family that God has given us here. As I thought about this week, I I came across these words and I thought I'd share them with you. You know, home is a place of rest. Home is a a sense of peace. Home is a, a generous welcome. Home is a refuge from fear and an open table. It's an It's an end to this eternal longing home. Well, our home is found found best in the Lord. Our home is this God of all places and people, not bound by walls or contained by addresses or limited by boundaries, barriers. Today, we celebrate a, a day of homecoming, an anniversary, and our prayer is that our eyes would be fixed and our eyes would be open to see ourselves at home in this amazing story that God is sharing through each and every one of us, wherever we are and whatever our experiences may be. And that we would be taught to recognize our neighbors as our fellow travelers, our co-inhabitants, alive together in Jesus Christ. For this is the home that we call ours, right here at Southern Hills United Methodist Church. I want to share with you a letter this morning that was given to us. Uh, This is to the pastor, staff, officers, and members of Southern Hills United Methodist Church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me begin by extending to you my warmest regards and deepest congratulations as you celebrate 60 years of worship, ministry, and mission in your community and the world. I give thanks to God for your faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ and for the fellowship of believers who have sustained the proclamation of God's good news over these many years. I pray pray for future endeavors in ministry and mission. I give thanks for all God has done in and through the people called United Methodists at Southern Hills. However, I look with greater excitement toward the things of God and Jesus Christ will do through Southern Hills in the future. Don and I thank you for the generous invitation to join you in celebration, but I regret that we are unable to attend. I know that there will be stories, laughter, joy, and many memories shared about the amazing journey Southern Hills has and continues to travel with God. Always remember the words of the prophet Jeremiah. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Please remember that you have not been called to be a hitching post, but a mission post. Again, many blessings to you as you celebrate this important milestone in the history of your church. Happy 60th. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Bishop Leonard Fairley. I want to do a little experiment with us this morning. Is that okay? Well, you know I'm going to do it anyway, so it's all right. (laughs) In a little bit, we're going to talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. I want to invite those of us who are our charter members. If you are with us this morning, would you stand as you're able, right where you're at? All right, don't sit down yet. 
Don't sit down, because now I want to ask those of you who didn't make Charter Sunday, but that first year you joined and said, this is our home, would you stand? First year members. All right, those of us, the first, keep standing. I didn't say sit down, keep standing. Two to five, you, if you join within the first two to five years of the history of Southern Hills, would you stand? I didn't give dates, sorry. Let's add to it the first 10 years. If you joined in the first 10 years, would you stand? All right. I'll go now with numbers because it's easier. From 1969 to 1979, if you join, would you stand? All right, let's add 79 to 89. If you join during that time, stand. 89 to 99. All right, it's time for the millennials. 2000 to 2009, would you stand? All right, 2009 to present, if you've joined the church in that time, would you stand? If you're not a member, but you've been here at any time in the last six years, would you stand? Friends, look around. Look around us. Look around. The folks that are standing here, can we give a round of applause to this incredible God of ours who's created this family? Would you join me in thanking God? And now let's pray together. Stay standing. Let's pray. Loving God, may we be found and may we find a place called home, a place where faith holds us and grace renews us where forgiveness longs for us to be who you will us to be. May we find a place called home where we are accepted as we are, where we are taken in and loved unconditionally. A place called home where we belong and our souls fit and our questions are allowed and our anger is heard and our needs are recognized and our pain is held. A place where our names are known. And may this be that place. Oh God, this community, this group of travelers and doubters and companions on the way, may this home be where, a place where, where we are found to be with you. A place that's not a building, but a place being held together in the relationships held together in your love. Loving God, homecoming God, may we make this a home to all who still yet seek a place of grace-filled sanctuary and gracious welcome. So be it. Let it be so. In heaven and on earth, we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. We're very excited before Christina comes up here to share one more piece with you. As we begin our 61st year of ministry together, several folks have shared an idea that, uh, that, the, that would honor the beginning and our founding pastor with a scholarship. Education was a big deal for Dr. Heron, and it continues to be so for the entire Heron family. So we're going to be sharing more about an opportunity in the coming months to give as a memory and an honor opportunity to bless the next generation that is coming beyond us. 
But for now, know that as we celebrate today, we also anticipate that God is raising up a new generation, another legacy of this church. And so we're going to be sharing, again, opportunities to be a part of this incredible uh, way to share and to bless the next group of people as we help them with their education. We want to let you know, so in January, be looking for that information, and we think this is going to be just a great way to continue this celebration and this ministry that we have together. We turn our attention to the reading of Scripture today. We're going to be picking up in this passage, uh, this Old Testament passage of Joshua. Um, we're going to be picking up towards the end, so we'll explain it a little bit here shortly. Um, but we pick up in chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. I invite you, let us listen for this, the word of the Lord. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did, did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I feel a little bad for most of you because you don't get to see what we get to see up here on the chancel when the choir was singing and flutes playing and the drums going. There's a little one back in the back and she is just doing this and dancing. <laughs> and I thought, how oh, that's awesome. Uh, again, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad in it. The saying goes, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, it's been attributed to a lot of different folks and and I found it's a truth that is as strong as any proverb that I've heard. In order to see what's coming, we have to realize that it was others that have given us the boost up. We stand on this work that others have, have created and paved before us. We, we take another step because of those steps that have gone before. And, and all of our steps, they lead to a moment they lead to this moment, our moment, um, our next right moment, our next right thing. When we, when we are, what we're really celebrating this morning are these steps and are these shoulders of those that have prepared a way. We've had joyful moments. We've had sad moments. Times that we wish we could just stay and linger in for a while and, and times that we'd love to forget. Not all of our steps have been successful, that's called life. And I have found, I, I learn more and grow deeper, more from those missteps, if, if I'll let God in. And of course, that's the key, isn't it? Letting God in the midst of my missteps and letting him redeem those moments. You know, 60 years ago, Dr. Heron and Pat and a, a handful of folks went out to the far reaches of southern Lexington with an idea to plant a church that would be a beacon to help wayward and lost folks find Jesus. Y'all, we stand on their shoulders. And, and they stood on the shoulders of others. You know, Southern Hills was birthed out of First Church downtown. 
a congregation that continues to send out pastors to plant more expressions of God's love. You know, First has been doing that for 229 years. Ever since uh, the Mastersons opened up their home and Francis Asbury preached to that first small group of Methodists just out there on Lee's Town Road. We stand on a long line of shoulders, an amazing legacy. Of course, we could go back from Asbury. We could go to Wesley and to Martin Luther and the desert fathers and mothers of our faith. We could go to the great leaders of the church councils that gave us the great creeds. Of course, back from there, there's the apostles and then ultimately Jesus himself. You know, I thought about that week, this, this week, and, and something hit my head. Oh, this is amazing. Here's a thought. Do you know that you and I are the legacy of Jesus? We are the inheritance of, of the God of the universe. Wow. If that doesn't take your breath away for just a second, maybe we should just let it settle. You and I are the inheritance of the creator, all-powerful God. That's amazing. And none of you are smiling, or a few of you just are smiling. What a thought. I wonder if, if Joshua had a similar feeling as he stood on the banks of the Jordan. You know, for 40 years they had wandered. For 400 years prior to that, they had been slaves. And now here they stand, and it must have felt like an eternity had passed since God had given this promise to their ancestors. And as Joshua stands there, I have to think he must have reflected on his people wandering in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever felt like you were in the middle of nowhere? This place where God is working on getting Egypt out of his own people had only taken a handful of plagues for the Pharaoh to evict his workforce. But it took a whole lot longer for Israel to learn that Egypt's ways were not God's ways. An entire generation died in that desert. It's a somber thought. Parents and grandparents were, were buried in isolated wilderness. And as this new generation stands on the banks, they're about to inherit the promise God had given 700 years earlier to Abraham. A man who knew a whole lot about good steps and not so good steps. What would this generation do with this gift that they were about to possess? Joshua was one of the oldest members of the group. He and Caleb had endured and were about to see the blessings of God. God, as they go, instructs the people to follow the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. And as they do, the water is stopped. It's stopped up so that the entire nation can cross over on dry land. Not a single flip-flop gets stuck in the mud. As the people stand on this, their new land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this land longed for and promised, this land that was a hope of a future, Joshua says, hey, give me 12 representatives from the tribes to go grab a rock and let's stack it up. What a crazy thing. I imagine in my mind's eye a little girl, a little child running up to this old man Joshua and with wonder in her voice she asks, Abba Joshua, what are the rocks for? 
And I think Joshua must have knelt and taken her hand and looking at her in, in, in her eyes. And as he did, I wonder if a little tear formed in his. See, he knew that it is generation after generation that made bad step after bad step. He was there when they rebelled. He knew how quickly God's people could forget. So Joshua says, my daughter, we place these stones so that years from now, when we see them, we will remember what God has done. Would they remember? If you've ever read the story of the Hebrews that follows, then you know they don't. They forget over and over and over again. They reject and they rebel and they take steps. And I don't know about you, but I read the Old Testament sometimes and I'm like, what were they thinking? Joshua tells the crowds that day that these stones are placed so that the nation would know, the nations would know that the Lord's hand is powerful and that they, God's people, would revere or fear the Lord their God. You know, when we hear fear, God wasn't looking for an afraid people. He was looking for a people who stayed in awe of their saving God. A people who knew where they came from and where they were going and what God was up to. A people who walked around and just went, wow, all the time. Have you ever been around someone who just has that wow ability? They just see the world differently. I love being around those kind of folks. They're filled with hope. They're filled with this, this, this picture of what can be. You know, in the the late 1920s, there was a professor at Drew Seminary in New Jersey who I think got a taste of this. See, this professor, he became frustrated with the movement of the church at the time. He found that church leaders were more interested in what he calls a sterile approach to the faith. he, He saw a faith story that had to explain every little thing and have all the elements that couldn't be measured dealt with. His name was Professor Edwin Lewis, and as he wrestled, he says that in his journals, he rediscovered the Bible. Isn't that shocking for a seminary professor to rediscover the Bible? He believed in this time that the church needed to reclaim something that it lost, something historic, something classical, something of the the church doctrines, Professor Lewis then penned four short stanzas that became a a favorite of Methodists. It was inserted into the 1932 Methodist hymnal and has been a part of the church and Southern Hills since our first couple of Sundays. Do you want to know what they were? You've already said them today. The modern affirmation. This affirmation that we shared earlier is a response to a theology that he found lacking. An affirmation that invites us to see this omnipotent, all-powerful work of God, God's wisdom and power and love and mercy. This God that is known to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. A Father that longs for his children. There's a lot of people that get bent out on, on God as Father. Sometimes because we've had bad stories of father. But didn't scare the church because they knew bad fathers too. They said, no, this God is a good father who longs for his kids. He says this God is the son who comes in redemptive acts of grace, offering deliverance from slavery. Did you know that we were slaves? That Jesus has come to 
to redeem us from that? He says the Spirit is this always present presence of God with us, in us, through us. That's not just church talk. The very activity of, of, the, of the living God lives and resides in you and I, wherever we go. Wow. And then Professor Lewis says that our faith is not sterile or held only for academia, but it's a manifested faith. It's a lived-out faith, a, a lived-out-in-service kind of, like, like Jesus' kind of service faith. It's purposeful so that the kingdom is coming on earth, where? As it is in heaven. Something we pray about every week. This affirmation calls for its declarers, those people who stand up on a Sunday morning and say, we believe. It calls for us to stand on the shoulders and to see the mountains and the valleys that are ahead and then to take another step out to keep on going. This affirmation is an acknowledgement of, of a legacy that's been passed on to us and a legacy we're entrusted to pass on to others, an inheritance offered for all who would follow it. We are a part of an onward moving gift to the world. In addition to celebrating these 60 years as a mission outpost, Bishop said in his letter, we specifically choose to celebrate today this, celebra- this, this day on World Communion Sunday, another legacy day, a day when the church across the globe chooses to celebrate what unites us, what draws us to be one. This table is the place where we remember the acts of Jesus and his prayer for his followers. You know, Jesus prayed a lot. Got a lot of them recorded in the Gospels. And his prayers often worked amazing miracles. Do you know there was one prayer that wasn't answered? It was in the upper room where Jesus prays that his church, his legacy, his followers would be one just as the Father and the Son were one. When When Joshua built that altar of remembrance, he took 12 different stones, but he made one altar, one reminder to the people and to the world. And like the 12 tribes, I wonder if Jesus must have known that the church would take up many different looks, shapes, and sizes. That we would be gathered from all over the globe, but his prayer was still that we would be one living altar that shows the world how awesome God truly is. This is that legacy. And we stand on that, those shoulders of those giants who took that next right step. We've been given an incredible inheritance, amen? We look back and we see this legacy and we can't help, as we looked at these pictures earlier on, we, I can't help but be filled with awe. And I've been here three or four months. Look what God has done. But let's realize that looking backward alone gets us nowhere. See, we stand on these shoulders, but we're invited to go on, to take our next step. We're called to show the world the glory of this God. We're invited to make this faith manifest. We're empowered to go forth and prepare the, the next generation to take part in this legacy. Several times in this past week, I've had a verse pop up in my head. It came to me in an email, uh, then it was in two of my daily readings, then it was in two separate podcasts that I listen to every week. And at first I thought this was just coincidence, but then I remembered I don't believe in coincidences. 
As I studied for this morning and as I, I strained to quiet myself and to hear the Spirit's prompting for our word today, that passage just kept coming back. It kept hitting me uh, like right in the forehead, like a two by four. I was walking around going, he touched me. <laughs> oh, you know. Delay, there it goes, it eventually get there. This sermon's not on the radio, so I can do this this week. You know? It hit me as I thought about this. Is this verse part of our next step? Oh, Lord, it, it's too simple. It's been done before. It's, is it specific enough? See, preachers, we worry about stuff like that. You know what I heard the Spirit whisper to my soul? Jim, shut up and trust me. So I want to invite you this morning to watch something on these screens and be invited possibly to a next step. Jesus traveled throughout the towns and villages of Israel teaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom's arrival. He healed. He had compassion on the crowds because they were confused and helpless. And he said, the harvest is great but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. My friends, you and I are the workers to be sent out, taking that next right step into the, the fields around us to show the love of God. And as we join millions of brothers and sisters at the table this morning, as we celebrate 60 years of ministry, as we stand on these shoulders of giants, and as we look forward, you and I are charged with continuing that legacy. Called to take the stories and the presence of this good God with us. Will we? Will you?